Your guest presenter today is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about uh, calls from uh, local developers to ease property market curbs amid the current downturn in prices and sales. The Financial Secretary, Paul Chan, has said the administration will pragmatically review measures introduced in 2010 to cool the housing market, uh, noting that conditions at the time were different from those of now. His remarks were taken as a hint that changes could soon be on the way. We'll be joined by three property experts in just a moment and if you want to join in you can leave a message on our Facebook page Backchat on RTHK Radio 3 you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or call us on 233 that's 233 88266. After 9.40, uh, we'll hear more about uh, China's vision for a shared global future, recently outlined in a white paper. And at 9.55, we'll get the latest on the Asian Games from our reporter, Jamie Clark. Uh, joining us uh, now on the line, we have uh, Victoria Allen, who's founder and managing director of Habitat Property. Also, Hannah Jung, head of valuation and advisory services at Colliers. And Rita Lee, associate professor and director of the Sustainable Real Estate Research Centre. That's at the Department of Economics and Finance at uh, Hong Kong Shuyan University. Um, good morning to you all. Perhaps, uh, uh, Rita Lee, uh, we can uh, come to you first. Hello, good morning. Morning. So uh, we're seeing um, a pretty low transaction volumes at the moment, uh, particularly uh, in the secondary market. Uh, it seems that um, buyers may be taking a wait-and-see approach now, following uh, Paul Chan's remarks and ahead of the policy address uh, by the chief executive later this month. What do you think? Well, actually, the, uh, if you try to look at the figures, that the weighting and valuations uh, private domestic average price by class, for example, it has actually dropped from 2021 to until now. And then uh, when we try to look at, for example, the uh, luxury housing prices class E in 160 square meter or above, that it was in uh, four. Uh, four, uh, 400, uh, 466,000 something about that uh, per square meter in uh, 2018 per weighting evaluation department figure in uh, in February uh, 2013 when it was implemented, when the policy was uh, firstly launched. Um, but, but then uh, uh, when we try to look at the figure uh, somewhere now, for example, the price is, uh, was uh, actually originally dropped to uh, 264,000 uh, per square meter. So it means that the average selling price of a square meter has uh, actually dropped by more than $200,000. Um, and of course, that um, what we have seen is that well, um, there are actually quite serious drop in the uh, in the prices already uh, from like 2021 till now, and then uh, Hong Kong property market has long been linked with the economic cycle. So uh, as what we have done for I, I guess in most of us when we do research, we try to take the property cycle out and then try to take the economic cycle out, and then we found that actually there's quite close relationship, and then uh, actually many industries, the matter is like banking industry, law, construction, furniture, etc. They are all linked with the public cycle. So uh, if there is like four in the property pillar of the, uh, uh, in our economy, it is not really good uh, to our economy at, uh, overall. 
And then uh, when we try to look at the confidence uh, index, for example, uh, we have seen that actually um, the whole scenario is different from like uh, 2021 when a lot of us think that well the property market is like in in a very good uh, uh, in in, uh, in a very good stance. But then now if you try to look at the property index uh, in Midland, for example, uh, the yesterday was like 53.1. So where 100 is a full mark, and then uh, when we try to look at the Google search, we found something that is like uh, the Google search index is only like 30 as we compare to 2017, which is like 100 highest at that time. And then uh, so that means that the, uh, the confidence uh, has dropped a lot. And similarly, when we try to look at the uh, Yahoo search, we find that the uh, uh, sentiment index of today, for example, when we try to look at the whole uh, overall sentiment, uh, is it zero? Is it no longer uh, positive? So uh, that range actually range from negative one to plus one when we try to search for the in, uh, for the sentiment. And then uh, Yahoo index uh, for all the titles now is uh, just zero. So what it means that it is no longer uh, as hot as before. The stamp duty policy, that's our thing, is mainly to curb the, uh, the, the, the housing speculation. speculation. Mm. Yeah, but so mm. it means that it is no longer the, the same scenario as what we have seen mm. by the time it was launched. Mm. Right. Um, thank you for that. Very, very interesting um, data you just told us. Uh, but is it just the stamp duty policy um, or do you think that something else should change as well? Well, I think uh, all the so-called spicy measures should be removed, actually, because uh, you can see that uh, not only Hong Kong economy it has got problems. For example, the so-called night economy, <laughs> obviously that is just, like very problematic, and the government has to do a lot of things. And then, uh, so as like when we talk about like uh, other things like uh, the overall economy, uh, U.S. Uh, and then, uh, uh, for example, U.K. Uh, bankrupt, uh, bankruptcy of the city. And then that's all things that just tell us that, well, uh, the overall economy is not very good. So uh, if it's actually the time to uh, remove the, all the spicy measures, not just about like one spicy measure, but it's just, like all the spicy measures should be removed, actually. Okay, uh, uh, Hannah Jung, good morning. Mm-hmm. Good morning. So the property market obviously is not in very good shape at the moment. Uh, the, the, the government says it, it wants a stable property market. Uh, um, wh- where do you stand on the, on the so-called uh, spicy measures? Is it, uh, these were introduced, of course, uh, in 2010 they were brought in. I mean, do you think it's time to take them off? I think no detail actually has given, and but market is expecting some sort of a semi relaxation by Paul Chen's uh, last week announcement because he was acknowledging the market, different market sentiment compared to 2010. Um, but it's quite uncertain how much relaxation government will offer. Um, the, if we look back, like 2011 and 2013, that two years we have a um, double stamp duty as well as a buyer's stamp duty imposed. And that time, um, year on year, we've seen the drop of 31% in terms of a, um, market transaction and also the volume dropped by 41%. So that two measurements were quite effective to capture the speculative demand in the market because government was very clear the home is not for speculative purpose and it's for everyone's um, living standards. They want to improve the everyone's living standards. So these were very effective, but now, yes, the market sentiment is very soft. Um, but if we remove it immediately, maybe this will 
the general consensus is saying we don't think market will rebound immediately because interest rate is still very high mm. and people are reserving. They, they're sitting on the cash. They don't want to spend their cash um, at this moment because market is very uncertain. They don't know what will happen next year. So even they remove the same duty, the price will not go up. But what's important thing is that this will stimulate the transaction volume. As mm. long as there's activity, this will help the economy. And I think that's uh, something government needs to consider. But um, if they want to remove it immediately, the impact may be not aligned with what the uh, government plan to, because government wants to make sure the, price pri- uh, uh, the property price goes down in an orderly manner, not immediate drop, not immediate up cycle. So in order to minimize that, I think one way to look at it is instead of removing immediately, maybe can remove it for the tax players, the foreigners who live here one to two years, very similar to Shanghai and Shenzhen. They're offering um, this non-permanent resident if they've been working in the city for more than two years, then they can buy the apartment. And also allowing um, um, the second home buyers because a lot of them having a first home, but if the resident, permanent resident allowed to buy a second home, then I think that will also increase the transaction volume. And now the market is very soft. People will look at, okay, maybe the bottom will be next year. So they can prepare to buy something they plan a long time. Right. Uh, but, um, you know, with, um, let's say, with the spicy measures uh, being taken out, you expect um, a sort of a bigger volume, but you don't expect, um, you know, property prices being up. Oh, she's gone. Sounds, sounds like we might have lost uh, one of our guests. Uh, uh, Hannah Jung, are you still there? Hannah, Hannah Jung? I think, uh, okay, we'll try and uh, reconnect. Um, uh, let's bring in uh, Victoria Allen. Good morning to you. Morning. Morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, oh, I hope that doesn't mean we've lost another one. Uh, but uh, uh, Victoria, Anna, you're, so you're dealing mostly in the luxury sector. Um, um, how, how's the picture from your perspective? Yeah, look, I think definitely at the moment that um, we're seeing transaction volumes down, and mm. I think that's driven not just by the, the measures, but I think you know interest rates are up, um, global macro sentiment is low. Uh, stock markets are shaking, and, and the China story is also slow post-COVID. Mm. So I think a lot of there's a lot of macro things that are are keeping the property market um, soft and transaction volumes low. Mm. Oh, oh, um, what about uh, what about these uh, stamp duties? I mean, what do you think the administration could do to, uh, if you like, stabilise the situation? Well, I, th- I think you know the environment you know, as um, one of the other. Um, uh, panelists were saying, you know, the environment now is very different to 10 years ago when the measures were brought in, particularly mm. now that we're in a high um, interest rate uh, cycle. You know, and that, so I think the government needs to remove all the measures and get and make Hong Kong, uh, from a property perspective as well, more internationally competitive and more attractive to um, people who are moving to the city. They need the ability to buy a property. Now, they shouldn't have to wait seven years until they become a permanent resident. Um, so I think removing all these measures will help stimulate the economy. But again, due to interest rates, that will, should keep pricing under wraps. Mm. Mm. Right. Um, um, as far as you know, um, I mean, is there interest um, um, from the expat community to buy? 
if um, you know what Paul Chan said uh, was true, i.e., I mean, the foreigners can now start buying after working in Hong Kong for a few years, and they don't have to wait seven years. Sorry, I missed the first part of that. I mean, from my understanding, you still need to be here seven years before you can buy property. Mm -hmm. Right, uh, um, but but the um, if that is loosened up, um, that that would that make uh, the luxury market more competitive within within yeah, international trust. Yeah, well, I think absolutely. Look, I think I wouldn't say that expat buyers are uh, now one of the biggest player in the market. Right, they account for a small, a very small portion of buyers in the market anyway. But of course, that would open up the opportunity for a lot of people to buy property. Um, who are currently un unable to. I, I think, you know, you have to look, we're competing with cities like Dubai now and other cities, and they have, you know, much more open standards of allowing foreigners to buy property. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think exactly, maybe it's not initially, but maybe after two or three years, maybe they need to introduce something mm. to allow people to invest in property in the city. Mm. Um, uh, Rita Lee, how much of a factor do you think uh, that is? Because obviously, uh, uh, you know, as Victoria Allen said, we're competing for, for talent. Uh, you know, the government has various schemes to attract talent uh, to come to Hong Kong. If, um, if uh, easing the stamp duties, the, the extra, you know, that, um, that non-permanent residents have to pay and, and, and removing that, how much of a difference do you think uh, uh, that would make to the uh, overall... Uh, if you like, uh, health of the economy and uh, the talent pool? Well, uh, I think the talent pool, uh, it may not be that important to the talent pool uh, in the sense that, well, uh, when we hire somebody, actually they may provide a housing to them. So uh, if there is like the housing is provided to them, like for example, free rental, so they just rent it to them and then uh, they do not need to take care of the, uh, the housing, then probably uh, it may not really be that uh, important from that perspective. But then from the uh, company's perspective, because there is actually a kind of like cost to them. So if I try to provide a housing that is like, much more cheaper and then uh, uh, that sort of things, a rental, then of course it is like, uh, important to them. But then what, what we have seen is that actually rent is like dropping. <laughs> so uh, it means that uh, for the attraction of the talent, that may not be that important. However, this sort of policy is very important to our Hong Kong economy in general. The main reason is that uh, for Hong Kong's uh, economy, we have seen that all the way through uh, for so many years that we have observed in our own research as well, the public side is actually the economic cycle and then uh, so that uh, if the property pillar that sort of things that it has got a huge jobs so not only properties in Hong Kong uh, that they have got problem but also all the other sectors uh, furniture uh, uh, no matter the furniture uh, law and then uh, uh, business and then uh, uh, banking uh, finance etc they are all linked together so we actually cannot really look down upon all these like linkages uh, when we talk about like it has already dropped for two years already. So I think for uh, continuously jumping for two years is a very clear signal for which that it is on the downward trend already. So it is, a, it, is a hot, uh, it is actually a time for which that we have to do something to do with, to prevent uh, later on. When we do it in a too late stage, you can see that in uh, somewhere from 1997 to 2003 at the time, a lot of officials and even Hong Kongers, that we have got a big question mark on how we can revitalize our property sector, how we can revitalize our economy. 
it was really hard for us to do a lot of things at the time and then to uh, boost our property cycle, property markets again. So under these circumstances, I think it is high time to do something instead of like too late. That it is so difficult to save our property market. So would you expect uh, to see uh, measures taken uh, like very soon or, or in the policy address at the end of this month? I think uh, it will be taken quite soon, actually, uh, uh, because uh, uh, actually Chen Mopo has already sent that. Uh, and then I think uh, send a message to the market, and then he tried to test the water. I think he has tried to test the water before it is like uh, put uh, into the announcement. So no matter what it should be, like in this month, it's what you said. It's like either it is like sooner or like uh, later. There is like policy address. So no matter what, it should be uh, uh, in this month. And then I think this month is as of like very appropriate time to do something. And I think it is actually a bit too late. Mm. Um, um, Hannah Jung, you were saying mm-hmm. the other day that uh, one of the problems is uh, a lot of the developers are, are sitting on uh, a quite a large amount of unsold inventory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. so the developers, I think now um, by August, unsold inventory for the primary market reached around 20,500, which is quite significantly higher compared to December, um, around 10% up. And then if we compare last month, also it increased around 3%. So building up this un- unsold inventory is the concern. Um, developer, some developers are taking action to give a further discount to stimulate the market or get rid of their unsold units. But a lot of them are reserving their price at this moment. So you can see this building up. I think developers um, need to evaluate how long this will last because the interest rate will not really go down further, but it will remain very high level till next year. Then the consumer, um, the purchasing power will remain weak. Therefore, I think developers are studying how much discount they can offer by the end of the year to get rid of their unsold units. Right, and um, um, as far as you know, you know, how is uh, the Hong Kong's uh, local property market sort of... Um, Linked to to the Chinese one, to the mainland Chinese one, as as we all know, um, you know, the mainland Chinese one is also weak. Yeah, I think we are affecting quite significantly by the China mainland China, um, the market as well. The first thing is there are not many mainland Chinese developer can come to Hong Kong to do the activity at this moment. If you look at this year's land sales, they were very limited. Um, possibly only two transactions were done by mainland Chinese. Other than that, it's, it's very, very difficult for them to come outside of mainland China. And then secondly, those Chinese um, consumers within mainland, they do have a lot of options, um, which can be really distressed or uh, cheaper options. And, and unsold units are going to have a big discount to stimulate the markets, and government is really supportive on this. Um, generally, Chinese government, they are not allowing second home buyers in the market, but now most of the cities lift this relaxation, and they are allowing uh, people can buy second homes within their families. So that is working on it, but therefore they have a lot of options in, within mainland China, and they don't really need to come to Hong Kong to see Given the price tag is a lot different from mainland, 
uh, we don't really see those activities yet, even the border opening since March. Mm. Um, Victoria Allen, um, so it certainly looks as though we're going to be in a high interest rate uh, environment uh, for quite some time to come. Uh, looks like you know, well into next year. Um, so when do you see an upturn in the pr property sector, particularly in the luxury sector? I think if they, I mean, look, obviously re, um, removing the cooling measures will help sentiment in the, in the mm -hmm. higher end of the market and the luxury sector. I think, but, you know, you're right, between interest rates, not, it's not only just interest rates that are, are, are high and they'll probably last, you know, keep high till the end of 24 at least, maybe to the start of 25 before they start coming down again, which will then, um, and pricing's under wrap. But also, you know, we still have a situation, even though they remove all the measures, you know, the, the amount of financing you can get is still like you can only borrow 50%, right, of the property price. So we already have very high levels of gearing. And I think that's worked very well over the last 10 years because we see very little debt in the market. So when like a financial crisis happens or whatever, we're not having a lot of people fall into negative equity. Mm. But I think this will continue to keep a dampening on values going forward as well. So there's also that mechanism in place. So I think... Um, Look, removing the measures will definitely, I think, create an initial bounce in the market. Um, and I think it's also very helpful because I think you'll see investors coming back in the market to, like, buy units for rent, for rental, which we need, you know, because there's a shortage. I mean, even though prices are weak, we still see a shortage of, of rental properties on the market at the moment. Um, and in some segments, we see rentals actually going up in some pockets. Um, so I think, yeah, look, I think it might create a short-term bounce in sentiment and some pricing, but I think it will just help transaction volumes right. and have people more confident back in the market and buy for them their own use. Um, are the investors going somewhere else in Asia? For, for example, how is Singapore faring? Do you know? Look, I think Singapore's just put some measures in recently to curb right speculation and investment right by foreigners. So, But we're definitely seeing, and I definitely hear from a lot of clients, and I think that they're buying in markets like Dubai or they had been buying in markets like Singapore. I think the difference where you look at like 21, where the market hit at all time, like, you know, pretty much a record high in some pockets of the market for the high end. We saw a lot of demand and, and that was very much driven. I think maybe when you look back on that, you think, was that partially driven by COVID as well, where everyone was based in Hong Kong and therefore not looking more closely at other markets? I think at the moment, uh, a lot of... Hong Kong Chinese, in particular, looking at other markets for investing in rather than Hong Kong. And I think it's wise that we draw those investors back to Hong Kong to invest here. Hmm. Um, um, Rita Lee, I guess we should uh, remember that uh, uh, approximately uh, half of uh, households are, are homeowners, but of those, uh, about two thirds have actually paid off their mortgages, haven't they? Which means that uh, only about uh, one in six households um, has a mortgage, which means uh, the the overall economy, as you say, it's uh, it's all linked. But uh, perhaps uh, is Hong Kong uh, less exposed than other places might be to uh, uh, high interest rates and property downturn? Well, uh, actually, for Hong Kong, uh, as what you said, it's like one in six of mortgage, and mm. then uh, so which is like quite uh, quite 
quite a lot as compared to many other places because actually in other places the probably the housing prices are not that expensive so that they um so that there will that there actually is not much people who is like with a mortgage as compared to hong kong high interest rate is what you uh, what uh, you all mentioned about the high interest rate actually high interest rate is one thing for which like it is the main issue for why the housing uh, one of the main reason why the housing prices drop as well because uh, actually it is uh, one of the major cause for most of us because uh, when we have got the housing and then uh, for the high interest rate it the trend will continue so that's why that uh, uh, as one of the guests mentioned the high interest rate must be continued and then uh, in the next year I think the high interest rate will continue as well so under this circumstances uh, there there is a uh, there, there there is no reason for which that why 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 we have to uh, do nothing and then let the housing market to uh, continue to be in a downturn because uh, actually it all links with our economy and then uh, when we want to talk about like uh, before fertilize our our night economy if you have got so much housing housing burden actually it is one of the reasons for which that the people do not go out to spend because when you have got like uh, a very huge course in the housing in hand actually you have you have no more other prices for uh, other money for which that you can spend for uh, what what we call as well like, like the uh, the night economy and so as like uh, other circumstances for the expenses for for our daily life as well so that um uh this is this is what we have seen in the in the in this present circumstances okay all right well uh stay with us we're going to take a, a short break for a news summary and a couple of uh, government announcements a quick look uh, at the weather uh, sunny periods today uh with one or two showers a uh, uh, very hot in the afternoon top temperature around uh, 33 degrees in the urban areas higher in the new territories uh, the outlook uh, mainly fine persistently very hot apart from isolated showers in the next uh, couple of days and currently it's uh, 29 degrees humidity is at 78% and the very hot weather warning is in effect. And now here's Haley Yip with the news. Heavily indebted mainland property giant Evergrande says it has applied to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange to resume trading its shares. The real estate company announced last Thursday that its chief, Hui Ka Yen, was suspected of what it described as illegal crimes following the suspension of its shares from trading that day. Donald Trump has appeared in court in New York at the start of a civil fraud trial that could have serious consequences for his business interest. On his arrival, the former president denounced the trial as a scam and a sham. And the former chief executive of the global fashion brand Abercrombie & Fitch and his partner are facing allegations of exploitation from men recruited for sex events they hosted around the world. A BBC investigation has found a highly organized operation running the events with the middleman finding young adult men for Jeff Mike Jeffries and his partner Matthew Smith. I'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. Check out the new fixed penalty prices across Hong Kong. Littering, 3,000. Spitting, 3,000. Unauthorized display of bills, 3,000. Fouling of street by dog feces or dirtying public places, the sea, or country parks is subject to an increased fine of 3,000. Meanwhile, shopfront extension or illegal disposal of a large amount of wastes is subject to an increased fine of 6,000. The new penalties take effect from October 22, 2023. Don't pay the price. Keep our city clean. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 and have your say. 
And welcome back to Back Chat with Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And for the next uh, 10 minutes or so, we're going to continue our uh, discussion, our conversation about the, the property market and the, the prospects of uh, property curbs introduced in 2010, the extra stamp duties, the, 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 the buyer stamp duty, the special stamp duty, the, those, uh, those being um, perhaps uh, taken away. Uh, that was uh, the inference that people drew from comments uh, last week uh, from the financial secretary. Um, we have uh, with us uh, Victoria Allen, who's founder and managing director of Habitat Property, uh, Hannah Jung, head of valuation and advisory services at Colliers, and Rita Lee, associate professor and director of the Sustainable Real Estate Research Centre. That's at the Department of Economics and Finance at uh, Hong Kong Shuyan University. Um, Rita Lee, uh, we, we just heard uh, in the news there that uh, so, so Evergrande, the mainland developer, is going to uh, apply uh, to have uh, it uh, for a resumption in trading of its shares. Um, I, I know we mentioned, uh, we talked about this with uh, Hannah Jung before the break, but how much of an effect, of a spillover effect, do you think the, the problems in the mainland market uh, are having here in Hong Kong? Well, actually, uh, there are a lot of like developers from mainland China. This is what we have seen uh, in recent few years that they have a lot of like uh, buying land and other like housing development activities. And of course, these will be affected because actually in mainland China, according to my friend who is uh, uh, who is senior management in a very large large scale property uh, developers in mainland China, what he says is that most of the um, it's like all what he says is like uh, all the developers they they have got whatsoever problems. So the problem is not just about Evergreen because actually that uh, that kind of like uh, investment model, this kind of like uh, investment strategies uh, is very common among uh, across all the uh, property uh, developers. So actually that kind of things that it will be like spilled over to Hong Kong because like, uh, if they have got problem in the mainland China's market, so what they have to do is that probably sell out all the housing in Hong Kong so as to save their business over there or the senior management originally they have received a lot of money but now, because uh, whatsoever reasons, uh, what what they what, what I've heard is that they have had like for example, my friend who is uh, who, who has already so called like, stepped down from that um, uh, uh, large scale real estate developer. However, if he want to get back the money, then he have to sell. He still has to sell all the housing before he can get up get back all the money. So it means that uh, on title, yes, he is no longer a, a senior management, but then now he still need to like uh, sell all the housing, and then every day uh, all the things that he has to do is like selling all the houses in hand, even though uh, that, that uh, on title is longer a, a senior management of that company. And then uh, not just him, and then everybody, I guess that most of us have received a lot of phone calls from a different whatsoever, uh, bigger Bay Area or whatsoever, mainland China's developer, they always call us to buy the housing. So uh, what you see is that, uh, well, uh, uh, these are things would affect Hong Kong, of course, yes, no matter what, because we have got so close economy that we tied up together and then uh, just look at the case of Vietnam. A lot of people just ask the question, hey, why Vietnam uh, housing market? It seems that it has got problem as well. Similar logic, because actually many of the developers in, mainland, in Vietnam now is uh, actually also come from, uh, the, the money also come from mainland China. So uh, when mainland Chinese market, they have got problems so that they may, the first thing what they have to do is to uh, sell all the, those properties in like, Vietnam and also stop, maybe they stop developing in Vietnam as well. So partially, partially because of this reason, Vietnam also has experienced a, 
a, a downturn in the, in the property cycle as well. So that what we have seen is that uh, uh, learning from all these uh, uh, information, of course, that we will just expect that well, uh, there must be spillover to Hong Kong's uh, property cycle. But there's one thing for which is that Hong Kong is quite safe in the, in terms of like um, how Hong Kong developers obtain money because uh, the the whole logic is different from mainland China, and then uh, we have to ensure that we have got all the money to develop all the housing before uh, they can obtain the finance from the bank and also other financial institutions. So that is something for which that uh, we still have got confidence uh, 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 that the problem of the Evergrande that it happens in mainland China will not uh, happen in Hong Kong because of this reason. Uh, but uh, having said that, we still need to pay attention to uh, save our property market before it is too late. As otherwise, that it is really difficult to save the property market as what we have been experiencing the uh, over history. Right, and and how does this sort of sentiment uh, affect the the longer term strategic plans of uh, our local developers? So, for example, in in recent land auctions, um, results uh, have been lackluster, right? Well, actually, I think uh, the sentiment it really affects us because actually we have uh, well, we, we we try to see like whether or not the home buyers will really buy it. So if they will buy it, of course, we just uh, we can we can set up the higher price, we can sell up more. But what we have seen is that uh, over the past few days, for example, just talk about five past few days and so as like previous few months, you all you may always see that there are some of the records in that. Well, over the past few months, uh, over the past few days, we only have got like four, for example. Uh, from the uh, Mid Autumn Festival to Sunday, uh, what they say is that they are uh, the weaker crop, uh, according to yesterday news, uh, mm. that they say that it is only four transactions. Mm. So that uh, in, in weaker crop, which is like very large real estate agency, and then uh, what you have seen is that well, you, if you see such kind of like sentiment, are you willing to <laughs> to buy a large piece of land and then uh, uh, in in such a gloomy environment? And then when we talk about uh, this sort of like uh, economic downturn, it's not only about like uh, Hong Kong's case, but then it seems that it is like overall economy. Uh, if you look at like Korea, uh, Korea also faced something that is similar to Hong Kong, where the tourists go outside but they do not go in. And in Hong Kong, we face a similar problem. The tourists go in but not spending on the LV, but spending on the cup noodles, and then uh, maybe just uh, see the fireworks without paying a sum of money. Uh, that is what is said is. For example, so all these things it just say it just tell us that well, so where is the money that it will go into the uh, that it will go into the property market? So if you are a developer, are you willing to to to, to pay for something that is uncertain? Because uh, it's a so large amount of investment; it's not just a very small amount of money, and it takes place over 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 a time, not just like a very short time of the expenditure. Uh, Hannah Jung, how would you assess uh, developer sentiment at the moment? I think developers, yes, their confidence level is low, but still when they beat the price, their land price came down like 30% in a certain extent, and that helped them to collect those land, and then they're sitting on it five years. Once they build, they expect that market will recover. So still, I think those cash-rich or low-leverage developers, they are willing to get into the land market and collect those land. Like Kaitak, they used to sell the land at 18,000 per square foot. Although uh, recent transaction was only 5,500 per square foot. So if the market can really recover, they can make a huge margin. Otherwise, still, um, uh, if they sell at reasonable price, I think they can 
they can release in the market quite soon in the next five years. So I think land market is, um, in a certain sense, is a concern because um, government sold around eight sites within this year. There are a few more to come, but I, I think government will slow down despite they will, haven't met their KPI in terms of the financial uh, income. But if the land price down by 30%, what does that mean? Next five years when they build, the price also, the residential price also expect that it should come down 30% if they are not making huge margin out of that. So I think in the long term, people are... Um, uh, people have to accept the, the market is no longer always uptrend, and this is something new norm in the market that rather stable or government continue to plan to bring down the price as much as possible to make it more affordable. So my concern is not really the price. My concern is more on the transaction volume. So helping those assembly removal is pushing up the volume transaction, transaction volume, and I think that's the most important thing for the economic growth. And, and is this um, uh, only applicable to residential sales? Uh, how about commercial sales? Is that also very slow, Hannah? Commercial yeah. sales were not really um, as, as a schedule. So there were just one in the Anderson Road in Kuntong that sold to um, Sonongai. Other than that, the government didn't really release the um, uh, the. The, the, the commercial sites. So I think they are having a reserve at this moment because the commercial market is softer than residential market actually. And we are hitting around 17% of a vacancy rate, which is the highest in the record in the, in the history. So the developers are less confident on the commercial market. And there are more development from the government, such as Airport Authority, West Kalan Cultural District, even Hong Shoikyu and North Metropolis, as well as um, uh, the Lantau Tomorrow Island. So there are much more bigger projects coming up in the next 10 to 20 years. So if, if uh, there is any commercial sites on the market, unless the price is very attractive, I think developers are not very keen to enter at this moment. Okay, okay. well, we, we've got to bring uh, this part of the programme to a close uh, in just a moment, but perhaps we could just ask uh, uh, Victoria Allen uh, uh, just briefly, uh, uh, what, what sort of, apart from the um, extra stamp duties, what sort of measures would you like to see to give the market a bit of a boost? Well, I think actually a key thing would be reducing this uh, loan-to-value ratio. Mm -hmm. I think at the moment, right, it's that, you, you know, buyers have to put 50% down. And, you know, given where the pricing, you know, forget the stamp duties, it's hard enough to put the 50% down for a lot of people. Now, I know sort of under 10 or 12 million, the, the amounts to put down are, are less. But mm -hmm. I think, you know, at this mid-market in particular, well, it's still a high end, but, you know, you look at this point between sort of 20 to 80 million in Hong Kong, put 10% down, oh, sorry, 50% down is still a substantial amount of cash to have on hand. And that's very difficult for a lot of people in prevent market. Now, should it be back at levels of 10%? No, I don't think so. But maybe there's some because you look at most other markets, maybe I'd have to put between 10 and 30% down um, to buy a property. So 
you know, I think that should be relaxed as well, you know, maybe to sort of uh, 30 to 40%. Okay, all right. Well, thank you very much for speaking to us uh, on this morning's uh, programme. That was Victoria Allen, founder and managing director of Habitat Property. Uh, Thank you very much to Hannah Jung, head of valuation and advisory services at Colliers, and Rita Lee, associate professor and director of the Sustainable Real Estate Research Centre, Department of Economics and Finance at Hong Kong Shuyan University. 25 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Christine Choi, the Secretary for Education. Congratulations on the 95th anniversary of RTHK and many wishes for its future success. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. And for, for, the, uh, for this part of this morning's programme, uh, we're joined now on the line uh, by uh, Professor Joseph Gregory Mahoney, who's a Professor of Politics and International Relations at East China Normal University in Shanghai. Uh, Professor Mahoney, good morning to you. Good morning, uh, Jim. Good morning from Shanghai. Thanks very much for for joining us. Uh, Yeah, Professor Mahoney is with us uh, uh, to talk about uh, the white uh, paper released uh, last week by the State Council. This uh, uh, white paper is... uh, entitled um, A Global Community of uh, Shared Future, China's Proposals and uh, Actions. It uh, it details a, a number of areas where... Uh, China's uh, working with other countries uh, uh, to uh, build towards certain goals, including uh, uh, peace, universal security, uh, common prosperity. Now, um, Professor Mahoney, this uh, uh, echoes uh, what was described as uh, President Xi's uh, grand vision uh, 10 years ago, uh, doesn't it? So um, how has China done during that period? Well, you know, I think it's it's... In, in terms of the, the narrative that we get from Beijing, um, and, and objectively speaking, I think we can say that China has made uh, quite a number of uh, uh, market achievements, both domestically and certainly in terms of it to uh, move outward in a, in a progressive and responsible way. Um, uh, fundamentally, uh, go back 10 years ago when we when Xi Jinping first starts uh, talking about uh, a shared future uh, and how that narrative uh, overlaps with uh, the start of the Belt Road Initiative, um, which has been uh, incredibly successful in in advancing uh, connectivity and economic development, uh, especially in Southeast Asia, but increasingly uh, through the Middle East and South Asia as well and and onward into Central Asia uh, with uh, tremendous uh, growth prospects still being um, 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 promoted uh, by uh, leading um, uh, international organizations. So this is uh, uh, something that's happened in tandem with, of course, China achieving its uh, Shaokong or, or moderately prosperous society goals a couple of years ago. And I would argue, um, although I, I'm, I'm sometimes in the minority in, in this discussion, um, China's uh, historic uh, an unprecedented success in containing uh, the pandemic and perhaps saving uh, uh, 10 to, to 12 million lives um, uh, during a period when, when the rest of the world struggled. Um, um, certainly countries, uh, Hong Kong uh, did, fared better than others, as did Taiwan and, and, and other places. But nevertheless, um, yes. Mm. Yeah, indeed, uh, in terms of... Uh, uh 
global uh, programs, uh, the Belt and Road Initiative. I mean, we just saw yesterday the new high-speed rail line uh, opening in uh, Indonesia, which is uh, obviously built with uh, uh, Chinese uh, financial support and, and technical know-how and expertise. Um, so uh, that obviously concentrates uh, greatly on infrastructure. Um, the white paper also talks about other areas in fields uh, such as health. You mentioned, uh, you, you mentioned the, um, uh, the coronavirus uh, crisis just now. Do uh, you, you think there are lessons for the rest of the world with the way uh, China handled it then? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, you know, b before I became an academic, I was a public health officer with uh, the Centers for Disease Control uh, in the United States, and, and, and um, uh, I, I followed those developments uh, a lot and, and, and did a lot of writing and analysis. And, uh, you know, the consistent theme that we saw was that, uh, that uh, what China was doing, um, no other uh, large country was able, was able to, to uh, pull off. Uh, with a, an incredible uh, integration of uh, social organization and digital governance, um, which uh, effectively held uh, the pandemic at bay for, for several years until uh, late last year when, you know, everyone else had dropped their controls and we were um, uh, unable to still um, resist uh, uh, the more than 100 uh, variants that were then active mm. and circulating in China. Um, so nevertheless, uh, and when we assess um, these types of programs, one of the things we look at was, okay, well, how many people uh, might we have lost if we um, had not put those controls in place, somewhere between 10 to 12 million. And um, um, although uh, we're going to lose uh, many now and, and this year, um, we saved them for three years. And so if you look at uh, basic numbers like um, in the United States, uh, um, uh, close to a million and a half are lost indicate that they were um, that on average uh, 10 years of life were lost if we just look at that conservative 1 million uh, in, in 10 years per person that's 10 million life years in China uh, what we did was if we just go with the 10 million figure and then 10 years that would be a hundred million life years that were saved for three years now whether or not we lose uh, a, a significant number this year or not uh, that's already um, in, in basic uh, public health policy analysis uh, uh, an incredible um, um, historic success and uh, it's, it's unfortunate because we're not really talking about that anymore uh, because we're trying to move past it uh, certainly I know that China has has um, captured all of that uh, experience and has reflected on it uh, but um, um, I don't think we're really drawing the lessons uh, that we need to globally and this is problematic in so much as we we believe that um, that uh, uh, the COVID-19 outbreak probably correlates with climate change uh, and um, um, that uh, there will be more such uh, outbreaks to come. And we need to have that uh, knowledge base in order to, to survive the next years that we face. And of course, climate change is another major issue that, uh, that the whole world has to deal with. So um, how do you feel on that? What do you think of the prospects for, given the, you know, the, the, the global tensions that we're enduring at the moment, what are the prospects for, for more international cooperation uh, on climate change? 
That's a good question, uh, and, and I don't want to go too far into my own peculiar worldview, but uh, one of the concerns that I have is that, uh, you know, as, as we keep hearing from the UN and other leading organizations, that we haven't made much progress on uh, uh, climate change uh, globally. Uh, China has itself made considerable advances in terms of its green development and green innovation. Um, I was in Europe this summer, and... Uh, uh, because of the energy crisis uh, related in part to the conflict in Ukraine. Uh, I saw houses everywhere I went covered in, in Chinese solar panels. Um, that's a positive word. Um, but uh, my concern is that geopolitically we're, we're seeing uh, conflicts um, that are perhaps part of a larger uh, game being played by certain powers. Uh, over the realization that, that um, the worst aspects of climate change might uh, be actualized. Uh, I think the conflict in Ukraine uh, is related to this in part. I think it was a proxy war between two uh, fossil fuel-dependent uh, uh, economies that were fighting over access and control of oil markets and how we pay for, for energy. Uh, nevertheless, one of the interesting things in the white paper, uh, because, again, uh, this, this past summer I was doing field work in Ukraine, is the extent to which the white paper uh, talks about uh, the Ukraine crisis. In fact, it has a whole breakout section, um, which was, I, I think, um, 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 uh, indicates the extent to which Beijing is, is fixated on this now. Um, the, the crisis in Ukraine uh, um, uh, stalemated uh, effectively since uh, uh, last December. Um, uh, we need to find a solution to this. Um, support in Washington is starting to soften. Um, it's not clear what's going to happen uh, with with a presidential election or where um, this might go forward with the recent uh, uh, budget uh, uh, in Washington. Uh, the issue of funding for Ukraine come up came up. It'll come up again when this current stopgap uh, funding bill uh, expires in uh, November 17. So we've reached this point where. Uh, perhaps uh, Russia and the United States have achieved their strategic objectives in Ukraine, and now we need to find some way to, to get past this so that uh, um, we can um, um, perhaps uh, redirect our energies to things like climate change. Um, and I think so uh, when we look at uh, the, the role or the position that is cited is in this white paper on Ukraine, uh, it's clear that this sort of thinking um, I think is, is is also in Beijing's mind. Right. So, what what could China do? What sort of role could China play to to end the Ukraine war? You think? Well, you know, I think it's it, it, late last year uh, when it when it became clear that we were likely reaching um, um, uh, the stalemate. And when it became, uh, but but it wasn't yet something po uh, politically feasible within Ukraine itself because they had. Uh, really mounted uh, a counteroffensive that has now happened, and, is, and of course, is, uh, seems to have reached uh, the limits of its of its success. Um, um, but but when but when China made this proposal earlier this year, the U.S. was very much opposed to it. The U.S. was was saying, in fact, maybe uh, China is considering providing lethal aid to Russia. Of course, that that didn't prove to be the case. Um, but we also saw the U.S. Uh, and other actors um, uh, trying to uh, put together what were some rather flimsy proposals about how the Western countries would help Ukraine rebuild. Um, and this this is a key aspect because uh, Beijing has the um, has the uh, relationship with Russia to to be um, someone who create. 
uh, with Russia. But China also has more than anyone else a capacity to help Ukraine rebuild and has uh, maintained um, that neutrality in, in the conflict and has um, even um, uh, uh, when China proposed this uh, mediation earlier this year, um, uh, we heard very positive uh, responses from Kiev initially. So it, it may well be that ultimately China is the one country that can really bring Russia to the table and can uh, offer Ukraine uh, the sort of that it needs. Um, and so it, it may well be that China's the linchpin to the whole thing. Okay, all right. Well, thanks very much uh, for speaking to us uh, on this morning's programme. That was uh, Joseph Gregory Mahoney, Professor of Politics and International Relations at East China Normal University in Shanghai. And we now welcome to the studio our reporter, uh, Jamie Clark, who is following uh, the Asian Games uh, in Hangzhou. Um, um, so, uh, Jamie, uh, uh, it, since the last time we spoke to you, uh, Hong Kong has won 12 more medals, and uh, that's since Friday morning, and that includes uh, three yesterday. So fill us in with some details. Yeah, like you said, 12, med 12 more medals since last Friday, three bronzes yesterday. The triathlon mixed relay team won a bronze Yesterday morning, that's Wang Tito, Jason Mm, Charlotte Hall and Bailey Brown. So that's back-to-back bronze medals. They won they won a bronze in uh, 2018 in Jakarta as well. And Wang Tito and Bailey Brown were part of that team. Um, and yeah, they they had a bit of adversity. Oscar Coggins, um, he dropped out of the men's individual race injured, last week. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so he, 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 he was unavailable. Hilda Choi, she injured her finger in training earlier last week, so she was unavailable. So yeah, a bronze medal was decent for them. And then table tennis last night, Wong Chung Ting won Hong Kong's first individual uh, table tennis medal for 17 years. And that uh, continues a stretch of Hong Kong winning a table tennis medal in every game since Beijing 1990. They're usually in doubles or, or team medals. But yeah, he won their first individual medal. And then also last late last night, long jumper Tiffany Yu broke the Hong Kong long jump record of 6.5 metres to claim a bronze medal. Yeah, yeah, very good. Good on her. And uh, and there were a couple of uh, record breakers in golf and esports. Yeah, so Sunday we won our first. Hong Kong won its first medals at an Asian Games in golf. That first that was in the individual event, men's individual Tai Chi Ko. Tai Chi Ko has had a bit of a breakout year in the professional uh, yeah. tour. He won the World City Championship in March Absolutely. in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, so he he won golf. He won gold. Sorry, in the individual event, and then him and his teammates Matthew Chung, Jason Hack, and Terence Mm won bronze later uh, on that same day. Or that was on Sunday. Um, and yeah, esports uh, silver medal in Dream Three Kingdoms Two for the Hong Kong esports team. They lost to China in the final. That's Hong Kong's first esports medal. All right. Oh, oh, okay. And uh, so today is uh, day ten. What are we looking out for today? Yeah, we're on day ten of fifteen today. The men's cricket team are in the quarterfinals this afternoon. That's a T Twenty match. They've, they're against Pakistan. Pakistan are a seeded team, so they've not had to play a match so far to get to this point. And they won bronze in 2010, so this will be a really tricky game. But yeah, Hong Kong have had a, seem to have a decent chance. Um, this cricket's third time in the Asian Games. The last time was in 2014. Sri Lanka won that one, and Hong Kong placed fourth. So you never know. It'll be a tough game today. The road cycling starts. Uh, Lung Wing Yi. She's currently 
in the women's time trial she won bronze in 2018 so you never know there might be another medal there for her mm. and then vincent Lau will be in the men's time trial this mm. afternoon mm. okay uh, jamie clark thank you very much and we'll talk to you again uh, tomorrow uh, thanks to our listeners uh, thanks very much to you ada oh, thank you jane and uh, stay with us because we've got uh, a new summary coming up uh, followed by brunch with noreen THK, the news at 10 with Haley Yip. Shares of heavily indebted mainland property giant Evergrande have resumed trading.